Hello and welcome to Clemson FCA. Anybody excited to be here tonight? Come on, come on. Hey, could you guys do me a favor um, first off and just help me say thank you to the leadership team of Clemson FCA. Could you guys put your hands together and thank them? This is phenomenal. It's amazing. I can tell you uh, when I was in college, this was the last thing that I was trying to do um, is ultimately to set something up for other college students to experience the presence of God. But I'm hopeful that he, God alone, speaks to you tonight. I'm honored and grateful to be here, and I don't say that because I'm a, a, a speaker to you. I say that because um, my past isn't the best, uh, but through the blood of Jesus, uh, I am redeemed, and I am where I am today. I have a beautiful bride. Her name is Kareen. She's here with me tonight. I'm super grateful for her, and we have two beautiful children, uh, Prince and Ava, and so uh, I'm a blessed man. But I know tonight we're ending this series on racial reconciliation. And to be honest with you, this is uh, a, 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 a space that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, all of my life, I feel like racial reconciliation is something that I've fought for. And I'll tell you where it started. It started in the first grade. Um, there was this young lady in, in, in our school that I had a crush on. I know you guys know what that's like when you're in elementary school. You think it's the person that you're going to marry. Um, I had that experience in the first grade. Her name was Courtney Hall. I'll never forget. But I um, had this, you know, of course, opportunity to, to talk to her in the hallway. And so I knew that she liked me based on what her friends were telling me. And so I thought I had it all together and would just ask her to be my girlfriend. And you guys know as well as I do back in that time or maybe this was too old for you but we didn't have cell phones so what I would do was write on a piece of paper will you be my girlfriend then I draw a box that says yes and then another box that says no and then she fills that out uh, I would ask you to raise your hands but I literally can't see anything past this table right here um, so in saying that I see Courtney in the hallway um, after I, I fill out this this paper I hand it to her, and she's supposed to give me the response after school. And so I, I notice once I get to, to the, um, the carport, we're waiting on our rides to come and pick us up. I see Courtney, and I'm ready for this response. And she says, hey, I'll, I'll tell you tomorrow. So, of course, I'm thinking that's weird, but okay. So she leaves, of course, and we come back to school the next day. Same thing happens, see her, then we get back outside waiting on our rides to pick us up. All of her little friends get together and then all of my friends get together because we're waiting on this response and we sit there and I'm like waiting on this response and I'm like, okay, so what is it? And she says to me, my mom said I can't date you because you're black. And so, of course, in that moment, I felt like everything in my life, of course, I'm only in the first grade, but I felt like my identity was stripped from me in that moment. Because this one girl, of course, now you know she was white. This one girl who was white told me she can't date me because I'm black. And it didn't make sense to me. It didn't register. So then I go home, but I'm a type one Enneagram. I don't know if I, we have any more out here tonight. Okay, we got a couple. But type 1 Enneagrams, we, we stuff down our anger. So I'm, I, at the same time, I'm a peacemaker. So it's just, you know, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. But I wrestled with that 
not only for that school year, but for years following, because I felt like there was something wrong with me because of the color of my skin. And if we're being completely honest tonight, just on looking out from what I was able to see, I'm a minority in this space tonight. But what I'm going to share with you is things that I've learned that I also believe will be helpful for you, even though you're a majority. And so in saying that, as a kid and growing up, one of the things that I wrestled with was I don't understand how I can come to school and be a minority. I go to church and it's all black people, but we leave church around 2 p.m. Um, we leave church and I'm riding down the highway and I see white people coming out of this church. But then I think when I'm at my church, Jesus at my church is black, but I'm riding down the highway and I see on this stained glass, Jesus is white. And there are white people coming out. So I always wrestled with this question. And then as I grow older, I continue to see there's this racial divide. Black people live on this side of the tracks. White people live in these neighborhoods. But when you're at school, you play sports together. And then it's like when you go into the cafeteria, you have your black section. And then your preppy kids. And then your Hispanics. And there's all of this division but we all say that we worship the same God. It, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. But as I've grown older and I've started to, to understand history, I started to understand where this actually came from. Whether you know this or not, the state that we're actually in is the pipeline for slavery in America. But I will tell you, as a black man that's standing on this platform tonight, here's what I believe, that there, was a, there has been a spiritual stronghold on our state and on our nation, but God's going to redeem it in Jesus' name through people like you and I. And what I believe is going to happen in and through this state is because we're known as a slave and confederate state, God's spirit is going to come in and through his people and bring a revival that's going to lead into our nation. Now, whether you believe this or not, I'm telling you what I believe. So the opportunity that I have with you tonight, we're going to talk about a couple of things of how I think we can help in moving forward in this movement, movement that I believe God wants to bring. So in saying what I experienced in, in schools and in the church, I also realized in 2020, the year that I believed at the beginning of the year, that God was going to expose some things because 2020, we all know, is a reminder of, of how we see things clearly, Right? What I believed that God was going to do was he was going to expose some things in the earth, and I believe that he has done that. This year alone, of course, we all know of the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery. Then it was Breonna Taylor, and then it was George Floyd, and then Jacob Blake, and it's just like this cycle of going on and on and on. And I have this struggle because I have my black friends and family who are angry and upset, but I have my white friends and family that are sad and feel guilty for something they didn't do. But then I have my friends and family who are saying, hey, black lives matter, and we need for people to understand. But then on this side, I have people who are saying all lives matter. And I'm asking the question, what in the world is happening? How do we fix this solution? Everyone's saying all we have to do is love. It's all we have to do. I talk to white Christians. I talk to black Christians, even Hispanic Christians. And they say, all we have to do is love. But then I really started to think, it doesn't feel like anyone can win. Whether you're black or you're white, 
it feels like society looks at you based on your skin and says that you're, you're, you're a, a, a specific person. So when my wife and I, my wife is white, when we go out in public, we get specific looks from white people. We get those looks from black people. And what do you do with that? How do you love, right? So what I started to do was just to ask God, God, how do I love? Because everyone's saying the simple thing is not just love. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? So here's what I did. I started to pray, and I said, all right, Lord, how do I love my neighbor as myself? Give me someone in Scripture that knows what it's like to be me. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I like it. I used to be in the car. So anyways, so I asked the Lord this question and he brought me to Luke uh, chapter 10. And I'm going to read this to you. We know this as the Good Samaritan. All right. The Good Samaritan. So the way that this came about was there was a lawyer who came to Jesus. Now, when I say lawyer, this isn't a lawyer that we see in the courtroom. This is a lawyer in the sense of he knows God's word to where he wants to test Jesus to know if what you say is the truth. Because everyone's saying that you're the king, you're the Messiah, you're the son of God. I'm going to test you on what you say. So he's asking Jesus, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what does the law tell you? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Go and do likewise. So then he asked this question to Jesus. He says, then who is my neighbor? And then Jesus says this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers, stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to the place where he was and saw him and had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus says. And then the lawyer replies with this. He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Can we pray? Father God, we exalt you. King Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we host you tonight. God, would you speak to us in such a way that this isn't a message that we just check off the list to say, hey, we heard it. God, would you change us from the inside out so much so that generations that come behind us, generations that are above us, we will look at them differently and we would be able to, to, to change their trajectory by the way that you change us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is, He is Good. So if you're writing on your phone, I hope you're not taking notes on a notepad, because I don't think it'll work. Okay? Okay. All right. So, 
Here's the thing. If you don't know the context of a Samaritan, then you'll never really understand this story. You had a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. The priest was the person who was known to mediate between God and man. The Levite is a person who's known to assist this priest to enter into God's presence to make a sacrifice. Now, a Samaritan is someone that everyone in society looked down on. Here's why. Because they were Jewish of the line of Judah, which is the same thing Jesus was, was a part of. He was, the Samaritans were Jewish, but they were of a mixed race because they got out of their race and joined in with someone else, which is a big no-no in Jewish culture. So what Jesus is saying here, he's bragging on a Samaritan, and it's the most hurtful thing that anyone in society could hear. It's like saying to a racist white person that a black person is good. It's like saying to a black person that is very hurtful and painful when they hear anything good about a white person. It's like saying that to them, that this person was good to you. So here's the, the thing that I've realized. All three of these men saw the person who was laying half dead. Only one went to him. Out of those three, if you think about it, here's point number one, what I've realized. Fear never leads to compassion. It says that the Samaritan man saw this person and he had compassion. The reason why I think our society, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, I don't care what your ethnicity is, the reason why we don't talk to our neighbor and love our neighbor is oftentimes because of fear. When this pandemic started earlier this year, the number one thing that I heard over and over and over and over and over, you get on Instagram, you get on Twitter, everyone's posting, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and self-control. But as soon as all of these events start happening in society, do you know who the most fearful people were? Christians. God's people. And no one had compassion. Some people are saying, black lives matter. All lives matter. We just forget the whole thing. I want Jesus to come back right now. If he just comes back, everything will be better. Yes, duh. But what about the people who have no idea who Jesus is because they can't see him through us? That's our responsibility. The reason why most of us don't have compassion for our neighbor is because of fear. Fear because of we're going to say the wrong thing. Because if I say this, then maybe I'm going to offend. Or if I don't say anything, I may offend. Or maybe it's like the priest or the Levite. I have no idea what their fear was, but they saw this man but chose to go to the other side. But the Samaritan went straight to him. Point number two. It's simply this, compassion leads to my responsibility. Once we step out of our fear and have the compassion just like Jesus, Yeshua had, because scripture clearly says over and over and over, Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He saw them. Once you see them, once you have compassion, it leads to your responsibility the disciples would always come to Jesus and said, hey, we can call down fire right now just like Elijah did and kill them all. And Jesus says, oh, away from me with that. 
These are my sheep. These are my people. In other words, I don't care if you're black or white, which in that time, neither one, I don't want to say they didn't exist, but not in his culture. So the posture that you and I have to take is to be compassionate because as we're compassionate, we take the responsibility to do the work that we're supposed to do. Because right now, everyone in society is saying this person should or should not say this. But here's my question for you. What exactly are you saying? It's easy for us to, to see everything in everyone else's eyes and all the things that they're doing wrong, but we don't look in the mirror ourselves. Too many of us as Christians are holding up God's word as a window to use judgment instead of allowing it to be a mirror so that God can search our hearts. Here's point number three. How becomes more important than the who? I'm going to remind you, what did the, the, the lawyer say to Jesus? Who is my neighbor? I don't know about you, but when I ask Jesus questions, I feel like a lot of times he does the same thing he does in this story. He takes me on this long journey before he can actually give me an answer. And I get so frustrated, but I realize he's right every single time. But this lawyer asked him a simple question of who is my neighbor? And Jesus told him a story so much so that it wasn't about who, it was all about how. If you and I don't understand this, this is where we're going to fail. Because society is telling us right now, which some of it I agree with and it's true and it's good. But too many of us are trying to go to the other side to find a solution when really your neighbor is right next to you. When I say your neighbor is right next to you, I'm talking to a predominantly white group of people and my heart is for you. I actually have compassion for you. But most of the people that you need to have a conversation with isn't me. It's like Courtney Hall experience when I was in the first grade. She needs to have a conversation with her mom because that's her neighbor. That's who's near her. Because her mom will go to the church every single Sunday and praise God, but look down on someone because of the color of their skin, and that has nothing to do with God's love. That's why we can't love our neighbor as ourselves. Our world is reaching out and saying, hey, I'm crying for help. And I'm not just talking about the black community. I'm talking about people who are apart from God himself. You turn on the, the TV and you watch a presidential debate and you get anxious because you're like, I can't trust either one of these cats. No one knows who they're going to vote for this fall. Most people do because they've made it up already. But that's your decision, not mine. There's no judgment. But what I'm saying is we can get so caught up into the ways of the world that we don't even know how to love our neighbor as ourselves. And here's the reality. Most of us don't love ourselves. Here's what's the other thing that's significant about this story. The priest and the Levite and the Samaritan were going down the same road. The significance of them coming from Jerusalem to Jericho is they were coming from the church to their house. And what do we do as the church for too long? We've looked at the church building as a place of worship. Instead of understanding that every single place that I am 
is a place of worship. If there's someone laying in front of me who's half dead, I'm going to care for you right here. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. If you're a part of my family, if you know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, it is my responsibility to have compassion for you because I see that you're half dead. The reason why most Christians can't see if people are half dead, because they're half dead. If we're not filled up by God's word every single day, then we're not going to make it. If you catch yourself drinking energy drinks all day long, but you haven't spent time in God's word at all, and you spend so much time on social media, there's a likely chance that you're not going to know what to do. But here's my prayer for you, that from now on, We don't just look at people for the color of their skin, just for the color of their skin. But I don't want you to hear me say that skin color doesn't matter because it does. God created it. I used to hate being black because every time I would go out in public, I felt like I had something to hide. And I still carry that sometimes. But I'm reminded of who I am in Jesus, a new identity. And when I walk into, an, into a space, I'm not worried about what anyone's thinking about me because I know I'm carrying the presence of God. And if there's someone who's racist overtly looking at me because it happens all the time and I wave or they give a dirty look towards my family because we're together, you know what I do? I start to pray for them. Why? Because I know they're half dead. It's not my responsibility to retaliate with anger because that's not going to fix anything. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you because that's when you're blessed. And what I want for every single person out here tonight is to experience that. But not only you experience it, your families as well. I'm so honored to be with you tonight. I'm so grateful for my time. Here's the last thing that I'm going to tell you. It was, I would say, last year, last fall, that I was reading this passage of Scripture in my time with the Lord. Hannah and I were talking about this earlier, but we're laughing because I'm one of those guys. I wake up at like 5 a.m. because I have to get my time in with the Lord before my kids wake up. But I'm spending time with him, and I'm reading the Good Samaritan. And I come across this passage And I'm reading about the Good Samaritan and him stopping. And I remember praying, God, would you allow white people to be like this for me? I want them to see me. I want them to know how I feel. Because they go throughout their day, every single day, all day, and have no idea what I go through. I work at a predominantly white church. And people say things and make racist jokes and laugh at things that, because I like watermelon, I do. I'm going to continue to eat watermelon. I used to be ashamed of it. But I'm like, Lord, would you please just help help white people to be Samaritans? Things start happening this year in 2020. And a couple of weeks ago, I'm praying again, and I feel the Holy Spirit whisper to me, you are the Samaritan. You haven't been dead. They've been dead. And the only way that change is going to come about is if you understand who you are. Society may look down on you because of the color of your skin, but I'm going to use you and I'm going to use more of your people because you are my people to make a difference in this world. And the more and more I read this passage, 
Here's the last thing that I'm going to say. This passage is known as the Good Samaritan, but Jesus never called this Samaritan good. I was reminded that Jesus said there's only one who's good, and that's my Father in heaven. And the way that I want to live my life and the way that I want you to live your life as we bring racial reconciliation, that people never know our names. All they know is God is good by the grace that he has shown me through them. Let me pray for us. Father God, I'm so grateful again for this time that you've given me tonight. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are all represented here tonight. God, thank you that we're worshiping in a field. We're not in a building. We're in a field. We're in a field worshiping you. God, we're, honestly, it's crazy. In our state, fields represented slavery. But God, you're bringing freedom here tonight that's going to lead into our state and in our country. We worship you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray against the spirit of guilt. I pray against the spirit of fear over all of my brothers and sisters. And God, may they be empowered by your Holy Spirit to make a difference. Show us who our neighbors are so that we can love them well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.